beautiful and magnificent this city will be when we behold it with our own eyes. In fact, this is a problem that John has while he writes the book of Revelation. He is seeing things that really are indescribable, trying to describe things uh, in the way that himself and the people he's writing to would understand. Now, you have to remember that we're separated by time and culture, so it makes it even harder for us to understand the book of Revelation because we're reading about things that, quite honestly, are indescribable. Uh, I always tell people this, if I could define God in one simple statement, then he would cease to be God. Think on this, we will spend all eternity with our God, our maker and creator, and learning more about him every single moment. With that being said, let's take a look back at what John has told us so far about this new Jerusalem. It's holy. You see that in verse 2. Holy means set apart for a special purpose. It doesn't just appear. It comes down out of heaven. We saw that back in verse 2. It's prepared. It's made ready. And that reminds us of John 14, 2, where Jesus tells the disciples, I'm going away, going away to prepare a place for you. They'll come back for you so where I am, you can also be. So he's preparing this place for us. It's made ready. It's God's dwelling place among humanity. You see that in verse 3. It's a place where there will be no more death mourning or pain in verse 3 as well it's a place for the victorious those who've overcome you see that in verse 7 and in verse 9 of our text we read it is the bride the wife of the lamb there in verse 9 so let's turn our attention now to verse 10 and following and see what else we can learn about this city the holy city the new jerusalem and john tells us there is a angel and this angel in verse 10 he carried me away and the spirit to a great and high mountain. Now that Greek phrase translated in the spirit can also be translated by means of the spirit. Now if it's viewed as instrumental, the Holy Spirit is the means of transport. If it's it's viewed as locative, then John's spirit is what transported to the mountain. And seeing how this is not an out-of-body experience, The Holy Spirit now becomes the means in which John is taken to this place, this great and high mountain. Now, why would he need to go to a great and high mountain? Well, we read the dimensions of this city, verses 16 and 17, it becomes very apparent why he would have to be on a great and high mountain in order to get a panoramic view of this city. Look what it says in verse 10 and 11. It's coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Now, if you have the NIV with you, it will render it, it's shown with the glory of God. Now, that word shown is not in the Greek text. What's in the Greek text is echo. It means to have or to own. So what the NIV is trying to describe to us, not only does it have it, but by its very nature, it's shining with it. So keep that in mind, shining with the glory of God. And this word... It's explaining the sparkling radiance of the city. Look back in verse 11. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. That word brilliance means a concentrated light that sparkles or radiates. It's like a very costly stone. Now, some of your translations might say precious stones. 
Same thing, why they call precious stones. They're obvious. They're hard to obtain. They are very uh, have immense value because they're very hard to, to obtain. And more likely than not, they have an intrinsic beauty with them. Now, most think of a jasper stone and its green transparent appearance. Now, this is where we have to go to talk of the table, really explain all this out. We don't really know. Some say maybe green, but it does say crystal clear. Now, some will tell you that diamonds had not been discovered yet, or at least not very well known at the time of the writing of the book of Revelation. However, there is a Greek word in classical Greek that's translated diamond. But here's the point. You ever seen a diamond when it sparkles? When the right hits it and it absolutely sparkles. You go to a jewelry store and they have all those lights down on all the diamonds and they just sparkle. This is what it's getting at. This city is sparkling like a diamond. Like a jasper, crystal clear. Now, can you imagine that? What's, I don't have any idea what's going on. Too wonderful for me to even try to explain. Have you ever walked? See, in Texas, uh, I tell people, the, uh, snow is not our greatest threat. It's ice. When we have an ice storm, have you ever walked outside and the ice is all over the trees? And, and the sun comes out after the ice storm. You ever notice how the trees kind of sparkle as the sunlight hits it? That I, that's a very faint picture of what's being described here when he's looking at the city. So just close your eyes for a moment. Think of that time you saw that ice and the, the sun sparkling off the ice. That's the, a faint picture of what John is explaining here. The sparkle and the glitter of the glory of God throughout the crystal clear city of God. Wow. And it reminds you, if you're a believer in Christ this morning and you've given your life to Christ, this is where you are headed. This is your destiny. This is what's promised to you. And nothing can snatch it away from you. You are secured in the hands of Christ and secured in the hand of the Father. Look at verse 12. It had a great or massive and High wall with 12 gates, and at the gates are 12 angels. Now, I'll say this for sake of you knowing this. Some will argue, well, there's 12 angels at each gate. It seems to me in the text there's one angel at every gate, like a century. So the entrance is protected. No one's getting in there without God allowing them to be in there. And look at what it says. On those gates, names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. Now with that, glance down a couple of verses in verse 14. We are told the names of the 12 apostles are on the 12 foundation stones. Now think of this. One city that is stamped with the names of the tribes of the Son of Israel and stamped with the 12 apostles. There's not going to be any division. It's apparent that all the inhabitants of this new city, Jerusalem, are all going to be people of God from every era, from every location, every ethnicity, and every language. Remember way, way back in the book, we were told, he saw a multitude that could not be counted from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Now, tragically, here in the United States and around the world, we have divided ourselves. Churches today do not look like heaven is going to look like. 
We have divided ourselves from ethnicity, culture, interests, and hobbies. We have divided ourselves so much. But really and truly, the church is supposed to be a mirror of what's coming in the future. Because what's supposed to be celebrated as the church is our diversity. Because what ties us together is the precious blood of Christ. We come together from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic standing, different skill set. But what ties us together is the precious blood of Christ. This is why this place is called a sanctuary. There's no division here. We're all on the same level ground at the foot of the cross. And I will say this, and more likely I'll get in trouble for it. But some people are going to be surprised. They get to heaven going to see people of color there. They're going to see people from India there. Because every person who has given their life to Christ across all of time will be there. And we'll be singing and praising God together in complete communion with our God and creator and in perfect relationship with each other. Our church is supposed to mimic that. We're supposed to be working towards that unity. The unity that comes as we share that common bond of Christ. Now, since the apostles are not specifically named here, we don't know exactly what names there are. I mean, apparently Judas is probably not written on one of those foundation stones. I'm just spitballing here, but I don't think Judas will be there. As far as Matthias or Paul, who knows? That's all conjuncture. But I want to get back to the point that Jews and Gentiles, all nations will be represented by the people that will be in that city. Look at verse 13. There were three gates on the east and three gates on the north and three gates on the south and three gates on the west. Groups of three gates facing each direction of the compass. Hmm. You know, think about those 12 tribes again that are described on the gates, the names of the tribes and the 12 apostles of the Lamb. It reminds me of something back in the Old Testament. The high priest. The high priest that would enter into the Holy Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And he had this breastplate that he would wear. And on that breastplate were precious stones, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was on his breastplate as he'd go in and carry out his priestly duties. And you can find that description, by the way, in Exodus 28, verses 15 through 21. I'm going to jump ahead of myself. I want to remind you, the book of Hebrews tells us that this tabernacle, this temple that was built here on earth, is just a shadow of what the real one looks like. Now, keep that in mind. It tells us in verse 15, the one, this angel who spoke with me, had a gold measuring rod. Now, his purpose, of course, was to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city is laid out like a square. Its length, the same amount as its width. See that in verse 16? And apparently, it's a, it's a cube with all sides being equal. Look at verse 16 again. He measured the city with a rod. Now, the New American Standard says 1,500 miles 
Most translations will render exactly as it says in the Greek, literally 12,000 stadias. Stadia is the Greek singular word. It's where we got our English word stadium. Now, depending on who you read, that could be anywhere from 600 feet to 607 feet, depending on who you read. Now, think about this. Its length and width and height are equal. Verse 16. 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, and 1,500 miles tall. No wonder John had to go to a great and high mountain. Even the tallest peaks of the mountain might not be high enough to see that. And he tells us in verse 17, the wall measured, now the New American Standard says 72 yards. Now I've done my math right, correct me wrong, that's about 216 feet. Now literally in the Greek it says 144 cubits. A cubit was considered a man's, from a man's elbow to his third finger. That, that long, average. So now the walls are 216 feet thick. Once again, that word thick is not in the Greek text, but think about it. If a wall was only 216 feet tall, and the city alone is 1,500 miles tall, it would dwarf. So I think the NIV does a good job of reminding us this is the thickness of the wall. Now consider the dimensions of the city. Let me back up. I'll make a disclaimer. I'm doing the best I can with the scriptures I'm given, but I could be wrong. I'm trying to describe something that's really indescribable, so let's keep that in mind. But consider the, the dimensions that we have to us, that John gave us. It's a perfect cube of pure gold, sparkling and radiating with the glory of God. Oh. A perfect cube. Now let's go back to the Old Testament for a second. This, the uh, tabernacle or the temple, when Solomon built the temple, you have the outer court, you have the inner court, you have the holy place, and then the holy of holies, which was considered the very presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant was there. The top of the Ark of the Covenant was called the mercy seat where the High priests are going in once a year and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of the people. Now, here's the beautiful thing. What happened after Jesus died? Right after he died, what does Scripture tells us? What happened to that veil? There was a big veil between the holy place and the, and the holy of holies. What happened? That veil was ripped in two. Signifying there is no more separation. We can in the very presence of God through the blood of Christ. But it gets better than that. If you look at how the Holy of Holies was built, back in 1 Kings chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, listen. Then he prepared an inner sanctuary within the house in order to place the, there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits in length, 20 cubits in width, and 20 cubits in height. And he overlaid it with pure gold. He also overlaid the altar with cedar. Did you catch that? It was a cube of pure gold. And we're told this new Jerusalem is a cube of pure gold. It's like the very holy of holies. God's dwelling is coming down to us. Woo-wee! Now God is present with us now through his spirit. You ever been part of a worship service? Hopefully it's opening, happening now. 
but you feel the presence of God. So much so you don't really want to leave. You're like, man, I, I can't wait to worship again. I can't wait to get there. But on that day, there'll be no more interruption. We'll see him. Our faith will become our eyesight. And we'll be literally in the presence of God, seeing him as he truly is. Seeing Jesus, not in a manger, not nailed to a cross, but standing victoriously over sin and the grave with all his radiance, with all his glory. And we can look at him eye to eye and stand in front of him without shame, without blemish because of his precious blood. Oh, dear me. See the imprints of the nails in his hands and in his feet. And where the spear went in the side. And looking at this wonderful city, this wonderful, glorious, beautiful city in heaven, and realizing, Jesus, you stepped out of this place for me because you wanted me to be where you're at. Oh, dearly beloved, that's, that's the good news. That's the gospel. That's our promise. I imagine when. The Jewish people back in the first century read this. They said, oh, wow, he, he is bringing a far greater temple that, than Moses or Solomon or Harry could ever imagine. In fact, we'll find out next week there is no temple because it's a temple all by itself. And we'll be there with him. Now, verses 18 through 21, we find a description of the materials used in the city. Now keep in mind, in some cases, the gems and the precious stones that are mentioned in the text differ from the valuable stones that we know today. But the emphasis is being placed on its beauty and the color of the city. We're told the walls are made of jasper, crystal, clear. And if it's Jasper is green. You can imagine that they will sparkle with the most beautiful color as a reflection of God's glory strikes them. The city is made of pure gold, crystal clear. I did some research on this. They said this cannot be done on planet Earth because as a refiner heats up the gold and the impurities come to the top, as best as they try, they cannot get anything out of there. Only God can do this. It is so pure, it is crystal clear. Imagine, close your eyes, don't go sleep on me. Imagine a city as big as New York or Tokyo, Japan, being made of pure gold, so pure that it would be crystal clear. Now imagine that dazzling gold color of New Jerusalem as the glory of God strikes it. What a beautiful, elegant city. And you see on the screen behind me, the 12 foundations are decorated with every kind of precious stone. But my compliments to you, Dahl, you pronounce those words very well. And I'm going to try to do the same thing, so bear with me. There's jasper, there's sapphire, there was Chalcedina, Emerald, Sardonyx, Sardius, Chrysolite, Beryl, Topaz, Chrysophrase, Jacinth, and Amethyst. And that's 
giving you an idea of what they look like. Now, the thing about the foundations, John doesn't tell us how that works. It goes around or they're built up. We don't know. We're not told that information. And once, once again, this is just giving us somewhat a foretaste of what it's going to look like. Twelve gates or twelve huge pearls that are 216 feet thick. Now, in the ancient world, pearls were considered more valuable because they represented uh, part of the sea life. They're unvarnished, so they're very valuable. Can you imagine a pearl 216 feet thick <laughs> walking through it? And then the streets, we were told, are pure gold, but they're transparent. The streets are gold. I just want to mention this. As great and beautiful as the city is, the jewels shining, the glory of God everywhere, sparkling all around it, radiating it. Who cares about the streets of gold when I can stand in the very presence of God? Gold doesn't mean anything. Gold does not mean anything. That, dear beloved, is what awaits us. And I want to remind you, as much as I've studied and I try to communicate, it does fail in comparison to what the place will be like. As I conclude, I'd like to share a story about a well-known preacher that you may have heard of, George W. Truett. We have an auditorium there at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary named after him. Wonderful preacher, wonderful man of God. One day he was invited to dinner at a home of a very wealthy man in Texas. And after they had their meal, they went outside. And his host led him to this hill where he could kind of look out over his property. And as they're looking, he starts pointing to the oil wells, punctuating the landscape. And the tycoon boasted, quote, 25 years ago, I had nothing. Now, as far as you can see, everything is mine. Now, he was probably expecting Dr. Truett to, to compliment on his great success. And Dr. Truett walked over him. Placed one hand on his shoulder and pointed with the other hand. He says, well, how much do you have up there? How much do we have up there? That's what we invest in. That's what our vision is all about, making disciples. Where moth and rust do not destroy. What are you investing in? What are investing our time our efforts, our financial resources. You know, in this country, they give green cards to people who come here. Now, they're citizens of other countries. They haven't given up their citizenship in another country, but they come here and got a green card so they can live here legally. Now, they can't uh, get all the rights and privileges of being a citizen of the United States, but they're here. You know, some of them studying in college and doing other things. Likewise, yeah, we live here, 
but this ain't our home. We've been given a red card representing the blood of Christ that says our true citizenship, our residence, is in heaven with him. And until he comes back, we're given permission to help build that kingdom by sharing the gospel and good news with those around us. We are just visitors here on planet Earth. Everything that I am able to accumulate by God's good graces and his blessings, they're not truly mine in the first place. They're just given to me to be a good steward for one reason and one purpose, to use it to build the kingdom of God. That's what we're doing here. That's our mission. That's our purpose. We have this beautiful picture in our minds, and I invite you to go back and read the text. If you like some extra biblical sources to help you wrap your mind around what's being said, I can, I can give you some of mine, or you can tell you where to go to help wrap your mind. It's a beautiful picture. This is what awaits you as a believer in Christ. <laughs> in fact, the only way you're going to see this beautiful city if you know Christ in a personal way. So my question to all of you, do you have a relationship with Christ? Now, most of you I do know, and I do believe you have a personal relationship with Christ. If you don't, you do not know what I'm talking about, then I invite you to come down in just a minute as we have an invitation. Because I want you to be, <laughs> I want you to be next to me. When we stand there and see this glorious place that God has prepared for each and every one of us. And that invitation is open to anybody. It doesn't matter who you are. Jesus says, come to me, all who are burdened, and I shall give you rest. Not just certain people, everybody. If you've done that, then that's wonderful. But when we're being pushed in all these different directions in our society today, what are you investing in? What are you spending your time doing? Because I believe, based on my study of Revelation up to this point, things are going to get worse before they get better. And being a believer in the United States may be, become more important. In fact, we'll probably maybe persecuted like people in other countries. It's getting crazy. You know that. You've seen the news. That's why we have to stop and pause and think about what are we doing? What's the goal? This is the goal. And we should have the heart of Jesus wanting everyone to come. This is the hymn of invitation. It's open to you. What are you going to do with this that God has imparted on us today? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises and your faithfulness. We can't even imagine the beauty and how gorgeous that city will be. What makes it so attractive to us, dear God, it's not just the precious jewels and the gold, but more importantly, you are there. And we want to be in your presence. Father, may we take this and 
put it deep in our hearts and minds as we go about our businesses, making decisions about where we go and what we do and who we speak to and who we don't. Father, open our eyes and see people the way you do. To love people the way you do. To reach out to a lost and dying world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, may your spirit continue to move and may we respond in obedience to your call you've placed in all of our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me please?